The following Marx Daily Apple articles were written by Marxism and are narrated by Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Marx Daily Apple Best of 2014, Volume 2, Exercise and Performance. Featuring, Do Your Workouts Feel Like a Chore? Improve your workouts with this one simple trick. And have you had a breakthrough workout lately? Do your workouts feel like a chore? Evolution tends to reinforce healthy, beneficial behaviors that improve the survival of members of a species by making them enjoyable. Sex, sleep, socializing, and animal fat either feel good, taste good, or sometimes feel and taste good at the same time. Not just because, but because they are necessary components of a healthy, reproductive lifestyle. And it's not just the act that feels good. Evolution has also reinforced the anticipation of the behavior. At the prospect of sex, we become aroused, horny, randy, or whatever you want to call the pleasure of anticipation. Those long, delicious yawns that herald the surge of melatonin and promise excellent sleep as we slip beneath the cool covers with a good book? Nothing better. And I still get happy stomach butterflies when friends are coming for dinner and the scent of crackling pork skins fills the kitchen. Okay, but what about exercise? There's the endorphin and endocannabinoid high from exercising intensely. But that exists to keep us moving during an activity as we near the physiological breaking point. It doesn't get us off our butts in the first place. If exercise is so good for us, and it is, why doesn't everyone crave it? Why does it feel like a chore? Why do many people dread it so much? Here's the thing. Exercise wasn't always optional. If we didn't chase down the antelope, we wouldn't have dinner. If we didn't climb that 40-foot acacia tree, our glycogen-starved muscles wouldn't get the honey. If we didn't make the six-mile walk to the spring, we wouldn't have water to drink. We had to do these exercises if we wanted to survive on a day-to-day basis. There was no, oh, I'll just sit on the couch and eat microwaved pot pies and go to the gym some other time. There was no selective pressure to evolve a love for exercise because we were going to do it anyway. Today, exercise is in a weird place. Exercise is optional, but it's also not. Though being sedentary remains disastrous to our health, circumstance no longer compels us to move. There's no trench-coated goon pointing a gun at us and nodding towards the treadmill, but plenty of authorities point their fingers and strongly recommend exercise on pain of disease. We're buried in studies proclaiming the essentiality of exercise for good health, The message is clear and overwhelming. We'd better work out if we want to be healthy and live long. Just like they tell us we need to work the crappy soul-sucking job to pay the bills, they tell us we need to exercise for 30 minutes a day to stave off disease. For most people living in the first world, exercise is something you do to lose weight. It's a mechanistic way to churn through the calories you've eaten and make room for the calories you want to eat. Exercise is something you do, though it's unpleasant. It's like brushing your teeth, taking out the trash, or emptying the cat litter. Exercise is about attaining a far-off goal. Meanwhile, the journey, 
the actual experience of exercising, of moving your body through space and time, of challenging your physical capabilities, is forgotten. It's not just forgotten, it's willfully ignored. We actually try to shut it out because the act of exercising is all pain and suffering and drudgery. It's the goal that matters to us, the weight loss, the weight lifted, the miles logged, the calories burned, the beach body attained, the tickets to the gun show redeemed. The evidence suggests that this paradigm doesn't work all that well. A series of three recent studies illustrates this. In the first, researchers gave healthy adult women, most of them overweight, a map of a mile-long outdoor walking course and told them to walk it for a half an hour. Half were told to treat the walk as exercise and monitor their exertion. Half were told to enjoy the walk and listen to music. Both groups spent the same 30 minutes walking the same course, but only the exercising group felt grumpy and fatigued. And when they had lunch, the group who had exercised consistently chose soda over water, putting over applesauce and ate far more calories than the fun group. The second study placed a group of men on the same mile loop, half exercised, half walked for fun. After the walk, they were given plastic baggies, access to an unlimited bowl of M&Ms, and instructions to fill the bag with as many as they desired. The exercise group filled their bags with twice as much candy as the fun group. Finally, the researchers approached runners as they finished a relay marathon race and offered them the choice of snacks, a gooey chocolate bar or a healthy granola bar. Those who said the race had been difficult and unpleasant were more likely to choose the chocolate, while those who enjoyed the race usually chose the granola. When working out feels like a chore, we demand compensation upon completion, often in the form of junk food. This can derail weight loss efforts, but it also perpetuates an abusive relationship with physical activity. There's also evidence, at least in non-human animals, that voluntary exercise is less stressful than involuntary or forced exercise. If that's the case, workouts that feel like chores heap additional systemic stress on top of the local stress that exercise already applies to the muscles. This could make it harder to recover from exercise and easier to recover from play, even if the total work done for each was identical. How do we change our relationship with physical activity? How can we reframe exercise to make it less unpleasant and more effective? How can we train ourselves to appreciate the journey of movement? Reframing our own activities and appreciating movement for movement's sake can be tough. You won't have a guy in a white coat wielding a clipboard and considerable amounts of authority telling you to enjoy the walk you're about to take like the people in the studies. You can't expect to make everything fun in games. Few people think of hill sprints as fun. I can't ever recall seeing a power lifter rock a Cheshire grin in the power cage. But it has to be rewarding. You have to get something from it immediately. The activity must be its own compensation. The key, I think, is finding immediate value in the activity, rather than relying on some far-off goal like weight loss to motivate you. The weight loss, the hypertrophy, the fitness gains, all those bigger goals will happen anyway, but they're not enough of a primary motivator for most people. I mean, everyone has those goals. They're the reason most people decide they need to start exercising and why there are over 50 million gym memberships in this country. But by and large, they're not reaching those goals. Something's got to give. That's easier said than done. 
Undoing a lifetime of acculturation isn't easy. You have to willingly appreciate the flowers along the sidewalk, the birds in the trees above, the sunlight shining down, the refreshing sensations of unused muscles finally used. You have to realize that our bodies are built to move and need to move. We've got these shoulders that rotate almost 360 degrees. We can draw our knees up to our chins and touch our toes with straight legs and do the splits, in theory. It's a crime not to use them, and you have to feel that. You have to find something of worth in exercise as you're doing it. That could be a PR in the squat, or discovering that sprinting up the steep hill outside your place is getting a lot easier. It could be that perfect high-five shared with a CrossFit bro after Fran that seems to make time stop and the universe shudder for a moment. Or maybe it's the meditative flow state you reach when training, the peace of hiking through an ancient redwood forest, or chatting with your power walker partner. It can also be the sheer joy we feel doing something we love to do, like play Ultimate Frisbee. Winning doesn't hurt. It took me a long time to reach that place, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I suggest you do the same. Are you dealing with nagging health issues? Wanting to bust out of a body composition plateau? Frustrated by mainstream medical care that either conflicts with or is uninformed about your primal practices? Finally, you can engage one-on-one with a respected medical expert aligned with primal principles. Primal Advantage Consulting with Dr. Kate Shanahan blends the best of medical science with ancestral health principles and her experience in metabolic consulting with everyone from regular patients at her clinic to elite professional athletes like the Los Angeles Lakers. And you you get to take advantage. Work one-on-one with Dr. Kate to fine-tune your dietary habits for weight loss, peak performance, and minimizing disease risk. Visit PrimalBlueprint.com to find out more and enroll in the Primal Advantage program. Improve your workouts with this one simple trick. Every once in a while, I run across a study that makes me laugh even as it makes me think. Such was one in a gaming journal, admittedly unfamiliar territory to me. The study assessed the comparative impact of varying degrees of human-like, software-generated workout partners. For example, a nearly human-like, humanoid partner, NHP, and a hardly human-like, software-generated partner, HHP, against one another and no partner control, as well as a genuine hominid presented virtually. The concept made me chuckle as I pictured the potential animation, but the results gave me something to consider. Subject's motivation was higher and generally the same in any of the partnered conditions, no matter how hardly human-like the partner. Other factors like perceived exertion, enjoyment, and self-efficacy were also relatively constant among the partnered scenarios. The only significant difference measured was persistence, where the virtual hominid took top honors. Grok would be proud, or just wholly befuddled. The conclusion, as drolly described in this title of the study, was Cyber Buddy is better than nobody. The study got me thinking about the advantage of social support and group exercise. As I mentioned in another post, working out with other people can offer a unique heightened euphoria that goes beyond physical activity itself. Beyond the obvious primal association, our group fitness endeavors offer us a better endorphin release, resulting in greater pain thresholds, and even an oxytocin kickback for bonding with said (laughs) co-partners. What's not to love? 
While the body of research directly comparing solitary exercise with group workouts isn't as expensive as it might be, other studies have likewise supported the benefits of social fitness in one context or another while simultaneously highlighting the complexity of the social experience in exercise. One study, for example, showed that group exercise participants experienced greater calmness than those who exercised alone. With self-reports prior to exercising controlling for initial emotional state. However, the group exercise subjects reported being more tired after exercise, which researchers speculate may come from the increased competition or workload in a social workout situation. In another study, subjects reported lower perceived exertion when exercising in the presence of another person than when exercising alone. In a second experiment, participants who exercised next to someone who gave nonverbal cues suggesting the workout was easy reported less exertion. Cues suggesting the workout was more intensive didn't appear to have significant impacts on the subject's sense of their own effort. While no physiological differences were observed, the study experiments do underscore the psychological influences the social factor can have. On that subject, it appears we don't need a ton of individual verbal encouragement, but may be better motivated by the desire to keep up with a more skilled partner, particularly a more skilled partner we believe is on our team. Subjects dramatically increase their exertion by 90% when told a partner in another lab, visible on video, actually just a looped recording, had biked longer than they had. Likewise, when a group of subjects were told the person in the video was on their team competing against others, they again boosted their performance. At first, the increase was modest, but over time, as subjects apparently felt more invested in their contrived team relationship, their exertion rose to 160% greater than a simple partnered group and 200% greater than the solo exercisers. Finally, it appears that even the gender of a simple observer placed in laboratory conditions can impact perceived exertion. In one of those duh findings, males reported a significantly lower perceived exertion when a female observer was present, and a higher perceived exertion when a male observer was present. Both measures were compared to a no-observer control. When we up the ante and look at actual enjoyment, the picture gets a little fuzzy. In one study, both men and women enjoyed exercise less when an attractive female was working out next to them than they did working out alone. And no, the researchers didn't do the same experiment with an attractive male. I'm just the messenger. Gender and attraction aside, the social exercise advantage as a whole could be seen as either a subset of social support or perhaps an extension of it. Countless studies have demonstrated the value of supportive relationships in exercise adherence, but the support can vary substantially. Consider the supportive spouse who covers extra home duties while you fit in your daily training, or the people who comment on your Facebook gym check-ins, or a close friend telling you she's inspired by and proud of your fitness commitment. How about the colleagues at work who see you at the gym office during your lunch hour workouts? The ones who always say hi and offer encouraging words. You bond a bit over the common dedication, but you don't really exercise together. Then there are the people you consider your people at the gym. Maybe you lift together or do a class or a running club together. Maybe they're a weekly walking partner or group. 
You're all in the same boat, or maybe even officially a team, working your way toward whatever goal, whether it be weight loss or competition-level performance. How would you assess the role or influence of these different supports in your fitness life? Increasingly, there is an interest in capitalizing on the influence of others. One app company is even marketing the concept of a fitness tribe in which two or more people buddy up on the app or in the real world to share their health commitments and the daily actions to get them there. The concept is certainly a practical one, and I happen to believe that there's something to virtual community when it can supplement our physical social networks and when it allows us to connect with those who share specific interests. Example, primal living. While a virtual tribe may not offer all the advantages of an in-person experience, the company's research suggests that those who team up with others benefit from making their endeavor social instead of solo by the regular encouragement in their virtual fitness circle and by its frequent extension to real-life contact with workout dates and fitness event participation. Many MDA folks have been connecting in these ways for years, and I hear regularly from readers who've gone from signing up for the newsletter to attending PrimalCon and organizing Primal meetups in their localities for everything from workouts and potlucks. I think this extension into the real physical realm can be key for many people. All this talk of virtual and networked support aside, there's something to the concrete presence of another person there on the track gym floor, or hiking trail. We're wired to respond to the physical nuances of another person's presence, even though we respond to virtual, or even computer-generated, versions of social workouts. If nothing else, I always suggest not settling for something lesser when the something better is wholly available. Sometimes the question is simply, why compromise? All this raises the question of gradation. What social fitness experiences are the best in terms of psychological support or motivational influence? It's something that we probably have to ascertain individually, but some experts suggest the more the group has in common in terms of values, primal anyone, and the more substantial their individual investments, the more supportive and beneficial the group environment. In other words, going once to a drop-in fitness class isn't the same as working out regularly with the same group of people in a team or club setting. Finally, there's the question of whether working out in a group is really worth it for those who genuinely prefer the solo time. For many people, their fitness hours are also their only, or at least most valuable, solitary hours. Some of us crave the solitude. Working out offers us needed time to be alone with our thoughts or without any stimulation, save the input of our muscles and our favorite playlists or a park setting. To those who would argue that social fitness is an exercise in frustration more than anything else, I'd say there are countless ways to fill the social well. Social or solo, your body will thank you for it. Many health experts believe that gut bacteria represents the next breakthrough in optimizing health and immune function. When you nourish healthy intestinal flora with primal eating habits and the high-potency probiotics of primal flora, you protect yourself from the everyday illnesses and compromised digestion that are common in stressful modern life. The unique strains of probiotics and primal flora help you improve digestion and regularity, bolster immune function, and can even assist you with weight loss by optimizing fat metabolism. One daily capsule is all it takes to ensure your body is thriving with billions of healthy gut. 
888-4247. Order Primal Flora today at PrimalBlueprint.com to take advantage of our risk-free trial. Have you had a breakthrough workout lately? Yesterday, we discussed the importance of finding immediate value in your workouts. This makes exercise more enjoyable and more effective, and it also makes us more likely to want to do it. When we find intrinsic value in our workouts as they're happening, exercise stops being a chore that we have to do to achieve some far-off goal like lose weight or stave off disease or live longer. It becomes a meaningful, even pleasurable activity with instant returns. All you have to do is find a way to reframe your workouts. Many people reframe their workouts by turning them into games, working out with a group, focusing on the physical sensations of training, or taking them outdoors to really enjoy the nature setting. Those are great ways to do it, but there's another method. The breakthrough workout. Everyone knows that improving one's fitness requires sustained, consistent, progressive training. You can't do a heroic workout every couple of weeks or months and hope to make a big difference. This doesn't mean that our bodies wait until we've logged a week or two of steady exercise to start adapting to exercise, though. The adaptation to training begins immediately after a single bout of exercise. String enough of them together, and you get the adaptations that we know, love, and want. Bigger, stronger muscles, body fat loss, improved cardiovascular fitness, a better overall athleticism. Consistent workouts are necessary because you get the cumulative effects of adaptations to those individual workouts. This means, of course, that one workout alone isn't enough, but it also means that those individual extraordinary efforts can elicit incredible results when laid on top of a consistent training schedule. I call these breakthrough workouts. When I was a triathlete, I gained more fitness benefit from a single 100-mile ride in the mountains than perhaps 10 rides of 20 or 30 miles pedaling along on flat terrain. The ride pushed my limits and forced me to draw deep from the well of human performance, and I got more fit after recovering from it. The workout immediately after it was easier than the one preceding it. But here's the thing. Both the 100-mile mountain climb and the routine 20-30 to 30 milers were necessary. If I wasn't working from the base provided by the easier rides, the breakthrough workout wouldn't have done much for me. And if I tried to switch things over by stringing together a bunch of 100-mile mountain climbs, I wouldn't be able to recover quickly enough to do them regularly. The breakthrough workout is one that is difficult and challenging, enough to stimulate a fitness breakthrough. They come in assorted forms depending on one's fitness goals. An endurance athlete can have a breakthrough workout of running or cycling longer than they have ever done before. Or, if an endurance athlete is used to clicking along the miles at an aerobic pace, a high-intensity interval session can qualify as a breakthrough workout. Anything that's an extraordinary effort. Anything that requires you to do something you've never done before. Consequently, other workouts are then categorized as break-even workouts or recovery workouts. Break-even workouts are your typical session that helps to support and preserve current fitness level. This is the base work. A recovery workout is one that is easier in perceived effort than a baseline effort and used specifically to get the body moving and the blood flowing to promote recovery and healing without getting stiff. Way back in 1988, when I coined the phrase breakthrough workouts in my book, 
training and racing duathlons, my primary focus was endurance training. And though the notion of the breakthrough workout originated in the context of my endurance training, it can still be applied to other types of exercise. Take your average strength trainee using barbells and following a basic linear progression. LP is a perfect way for beginners. You're consistently getting stronger and hitting PRs every single workout. It's empowering while it lasts, but you can't add 5 pounds to a bar forever. Once that stops and you hit a sticking point, it's time to introduce breakthrough workouts. Maybe instead of sticking to the standard 3 sets of 5 reps in the back squat, you do an unbroken 20 rep set with a reasonably heavy weight once a week. Even a casual fitness enthusiast should design their exercise program with a sensible balance of stress and rest. Going out and doing the same thing every day, such as walking two miles at a steady pace or going through a sequence of eight machines at the gym for 12 reps each, is certainly better than sitting at home on the couch and provides great activity base, but after a while the body will adapt to a rote regimen and fitness progress will stall. We need to push the boundaries to get anywhere. In some cases, a consistent exercise strategy can even trend the exerciser into a chronic pattern, even for a relatively casual fitness enthusiast. For example, taking a couple spin classes each week, doing a weight circuit another day, and doing a weekend play effort sounds like a sensible approach, but on certain weeks or months the body can become overstressed and fail to benefit from one's regular routine. It's better to challenge the body occasionally with breakthrough efforts, huge acute stressors that you then recover from. What does this mean for you? Why are they so helpful? There are physiological changes to start. There are no studies specifically examining breakthrough workouts, but there is a ton of literature showing how adaptation to acute training sessions begins immediately after just one workout. Blood markers of endogenous antioxidant defenses against oxidative stress upregulate immediately following a workout. Your memory improves and your brain becomes more plastic. Motor memory, the ability to acquire a new motor skill, also increases. mTOR1C, the anabolic pathway responsible for muscle hypertrophy, activates and growth hormone increases in response to a single bout of resistance training. An acute session of strength training lowers expression of myostatin, a negative regulator of muscle size, meaning lower levels of myostatin increase muscle hypertrophy. Skeletal muscle mitochondria biogenesis begins immediately after a single session of high-intensity interval training. Blood pressure is decreased in type 2 diabetics after a single strength training session. In other words, one workout the right kind of workout, can trigger muscle hypertrophy, improve the ability of your muscles to burn energy substrates, mitochondrial biogenesis, increase skill development, and modulate the inflammatory and hypertensive response to stressors. Is it enough? No. You have to stick with it. But it's a good start and a real kick in the pants. What's more, fluctuating stress and rest exercise patterns allows for better recovery as the exerciser is free from the compulsion of sticking to a consistent schedule in order to preserve fitness. You can skip a workout if you need to rest and recover.
And that's how a breakthrough workout works physiologically, by giving a big, exaggerated boost to those very same adaptive processes that regular workouts kickstart, along with enough space to recover and progress. There is also less tangible, more mental benefits to breakthrough workouts. Remember, although being the smartest apes around is pretty great and all, it gets us into trouble. We overthink everything. That's led us to discover quantum mechanics, learn how to navigate using the stars, and wield all the world's knowledge in a small device that fits in the palm of your hand. But it also means we can psych ourselves out and lose before anything even starts. Undertaking and successfully completing a breakthrough workout more intense and tougher than any before it provides a huge physiological boost that can't be denied. You've overcome a formidable challenge. You have inconvertible proof that you can get it done. You realize you have what it takes, and it becomes a lot easier to access it in the future. Don't underestimate the value of confidence these workouts can provide. Breakthrough workouts also free you from the must-work-out-every-day-or-feel-like-a-useless-slob-whose-chest-muscles-are-shrinking-by-the-minute mentality. When you know you can go hard once or twice a week, take it relatively easy the remaining days, and still see progress, you won't beat yourself up over missing a day or two at the gym. Life gets in the way, as it always does, and as long as you don't languish for weeks and months on end, you can improve your fitness by kicking ass once or twice a week. There are limitations and requirements and guidelines, of course. Breakthrough workouts aren't magic. Breakthrough workouts only work if you're already training consistently. Doing nothing for weeks only to come out swinging with a PR deadlift attempt or a century ride won't do much for you besides leave you sore and possibly injured. You have to have something, a plateau, a rut, a slow or steady incline, to break through. Breakthrough workouts represent extraordinary efforts. I mean it. Adding five pounds to your barbell squat from last week represents a progressive overload, but it's not a breakthrough. Adding an extra mile to your regular jog isn't exactly a breakthrough. Turning your flat easy jog into a breakneck uphill climb is a breakthrough workout. Most breakthrough workouts are planned endeavors. Planning it out ensures you can get enough rest before and sufficiently recover after. You're going to need both. If you're going into a breakthrough workout insufficiently rested, it's no longer a breakthrough. You'll probably fall short, and the added stress of poor recovery will hamper the results you get. Some breakthrough workouts are spontaneous affairs. While these days I always plan my hardest workouts ahead of time, there are those days where I wake up and feel different. There's an extra spring in my step as I get out of bed. A bit more dopamine than usual surges across my synapses in response to my morning coffee, and everything shines with optimism. My joints feel great. My tissues are rested. My muscles are primed. I'm mentally ready. Things just feel right. On these days, whatever I end up doing turns into a breakthrough workout. I'll end up hiking a 15-mile loop and sprinting up the occasional switchback, when I'd originally just planned on a 4- or 5-miler, for example. I'm sure you've experienced the same, where you run a few more intervals than you'd planned, bust out 12 reps in the last set instead of 5, continue on to the summit instead of turning back halfway there, where you do something you've never done before and surprise yourself. What do you think, listeners? When was the last time you had a breakthrough workout? What were the effects? 
Were they lasting? Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.